O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. We tend not to hear much about Joseph in the Episcopal Church. Though there is, in fact, a feast day for him in our prayer book, if you've looked back in the calendar section, it's March 19th. Mark it down. The problem is Joseph gets overshadowed by another saint whose day is celebrated two days earlier by both religious and non-religious alike, and his name is Patrick. Joseph also gets overshadowed by Mary, and we might say rightly so. According to tradition, Joseph is not Jesus' biological father, and when it comes to Jesus, Mary does the heavy lifting, so to speak. She's there at the beginning and is part of the entourage that accompanies him throughout his ministry. She's present at the crucifixion. We might say that she is the first disciple. The birth narrative passages from Luke are from Mary's point of view, and they are among the most beautiful and exalted passages in all the scripture. But the gospel, according to Matthew, tells the story of Jesus' birth from Joseph's point of view. So we're going to look a little bit at Joseph today. We don't know a lot about him from Scripture. He more or less disappears from the Gospel narrative after Jesus is a toddler. We're told that he descended from King David, that he's a righteous Jew. From another passage in Matthew, we learn that he's a carpenter. From Luke, we can infer that he made the required pilgrimages that righteous Jews made on the high holy days to Jerusalem. He's present but not named in that wonderful story in Luke where the 12-year-old Jesus gets left behind talking to the uh, wise men and scribes and teachers of the law. Uh, Joseph is mentioned uh, not by name, but being a rather... uh, Uh, concerned, angry perhaps, uh, that Jesus had uh, found himself left behind after that that, uh, pilgrimage. Like another Joseph, we know from the book of Genesis, this Joseph in the New Testament, he too was a dreamer, ready and open to hearing God's word for him through dreams. And in the passage we hear from Matthew today, we see Joseph getting one of those dreams. The Lord, through an angel, tells Joseph to stay with Mary. Stay with Mary. Joseph had been planning to divorce Mary upon learning that she was pregnant and not by him. Now, while first century marriage was hardly the stuff of romantic dreams that we tend to prize so much today, we can be sure that this was one scenario Joseph had not thought about ahead of time. Not his dream. He let go of whatever his dream was, whatever that might have been, and listened to the angel and married Mary anyway. I read somewhere that the real miracle in this story is not that Mary became pregnant without human help, but rather that Joseph changed his mind. And this actually, while there is some humor in that, it points to 
a set of sobering facts because Joseph could have behaved very, very differently. On learning that his wife-to-be was pregnant, by Jewish law, not only could Joseph have divorced her, he could have had her stoned to death for adultery. What makes Joseph so special is that he renounces the privileges and prerogatives that were his by right as a Jewish man. Even before he has this dream from God, he chooses for compassion. He decides that he will divorce Mary. It's not right for him to marry her. The child isn't his. He can't take responsibility for the child that's not his. He can't receive the honor for a child that's not his. But he will not press charges. He will not have Mary or her family publicly humiliated. Even more remarkable, I think, is not only does Joseph renounce his prerogatives, he is able to clearly discern God's voice in a situation that must have been highly, highly charged with fear, with shame, with anger. He's able to put all that aside somehow and listen to what the angel of God has to say to him. Because of that, he's able to take responsibility for a situation that he's clearly not responsible for. It was not of his own making. Surely he will suffer the shame of marrying a woman who is carrying a baby who is not his, who was betrothed to him when the pregnancy took place. All the cues in his culture and the letter of the Jewish law were pushing Joseph in a much different direction. Yet equipped with God's reassurance, rather than run and hide behind rules and dogma and culture, Joseph relinquishes his prerogatives as a Jewish male, and he acts with righteousness in the best of the Jewish tradition, protecting the weak, the orphan, the widow, and the poor, the vulnerable, as Mary surely was. He does all this even at risk to his own reputation. But look what he gets when he relinquishes his rights and follows God's directions from deep within his conscience. He gets to name a child that wasn't his. And he gets a boy. In a patriarchal culture, that was the prize. And he got one. And though he did not ask for it by any means, he becomes part of a family that was to change the world. There is a tradition of renunciations in Christianity. One of the big renouncers was Francis of Assisi. You may know that at Trinity in the chapel, there's a rose window over the door into the chapel that has St. Francis right in the middle of it. If you haven't seen it before, you should go take a look at it. We have Francis here at Trinity. You probably know the story. As a very, very wealthy young man, he renounces his wealth and all that comes with it. According to legend, he even takes off all of his clothes, renounces clothing even, and starts a ministry that changes not only Francis, but the whole world, a ministry to the poor and outcasts. 
Or we might think of another biggie, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian who could have stayed in this country in the 30s and 40s to preach and teach in the comfort of Union Theological Seminary in New York City with Reinhold Niebuhr and Paul Tillich and the whole lot. He could have stayed there. He could have traveled around and lectured in the States in safety. But he chose to renounce all that and return to Germany to fight the Nazis from within. And he died for it. Or we might remember Dorothy Day, who renounced the comforts of a partnered life because her partner could simply not understand her Christian faith in the way that it drew her to service to the poor. We don't have to think of famous people or people that may be famous to you when we talk about renunciations. I'm sure there are people in this room, in this holy place right now, who have renounced privilege and precedent in order to do the right thing, the hard thing, the godly thing. And of course, there's God, who renounces all kinds of privileges to come to us in the form of a poor peasant child under questionable circumstances in a distant corner of the mighty Roman Empire. On a much, much more mundane level, I was in conversation with a clergy colleague some time ago. We were comparing notes on being fathers and husbands and spouses to full-time working teachers and the struggle to share domestic and other duties as equitably as possible. And we were having a good chuckle as we admitted to ourselves that when we were doing some of these domestic chores, we said to ourselves, you know, sometimes... I wonder when I'm standing here folding the laundry, I think to myself, you know, wait a minute, I'm a man. I shouldn't have to be doing this. But the renunciation of historic and cultural precedent and privilege does more than ensure a bit more domestic tranquility, though it sure does that. Or mark a baby, baby step toward gender equality, although it does that a little. Much more important, it permits the freedom to be transformed. To be transformed by God and to be part of God's transforming work in the world. And it is far from easy. I want to ask us. Are there areas in our own lives where we can renounce our personal claims and historic privileges, whether as white people or men or straight people or Americans or Christians? Are there places in our lives where we can renounce what we think is rightly ours as people with money or education or social status or fill in the blank of whatever it is that keeps you from getting down into the nitty gritty and relinquishing your privilege.
Are there areas where we can renounce our prerogatives, not in order to congratulate ourselves on our highly evolved and advanced thinking, but so that Jesus, the Christ, will have room to come and dwell in our hearts. I wonder what godly transformations in ourselves, in our families, in our communities, even in our national and international life, what might those transformations be if we could let go of what we hold on to so tightly I'm left with these questions, with Joseph as my companion. Amen.